This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Football Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that always throws caution to the wind. Arguably one of the most tepid games in recent years between Chelsea and Man United yesterday, as two teams clearly way below their title-winning levels stumbled to a 1-1 draw. Why is Goose playing it safe rather than going for the win? Are we really that devoid of talent and belief? What does he have to lose? Absolutely nothing. But when all is said and done, at least we've stopped losing. So perhaps we should be thankful for that. It all adds up to a lot of disgruntlement from the supporters with Chelsea at the moment. With the torpor on the pitch only matched by the lack of atmosphere off it. I had a great time in the pub before, mind. Anyway, I am Stanford Chidge and the name of tonight's show is... The Chelsea Football Fancast. Drawing Conclusions. Now, time to introduce the wonderful people we have on the show this week, which are uh, the lovely Dan Silver. Evening, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well, thank you. Jolly good. A little bit, little bit windy, but very well. Uh, that's enough of your uh, yeah. uh, culinary or digestive habits. Yeah. Uh, shame I didn't see you in the pub on Sunday. Yeah, I went to the, uh, the Fimbra briefly because I was you? meeting a couple of friends. Yeah, it was um, fairly empty, as, as per normal. Uh, uh, Talking of uh, uh, expensive ticket prices, expensive pint prices in the Fimber, I believe, but there you go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Clayton, how are you? Hello. I'm okay. I, I passed the late fitness test to join you this evening. Unfortunately, I failed my fitness test yesterday. Did you? I, I, I was actually in the cock yesterday and I was hoping to see I, you. I know. I saw the list of thousands and I was extremely extremely jealous, but unfortunately, I've had this man flu thing for about three weeks and I was completely buggered yesterday, so uh, I uh, I didn't leave the couch. You poor thing, that sounds really awful. Mm. 
Uh, you did miss a good session in the cock, though. I, I met Barry Bridges. I know. I saw you met Barry Bridges. Terry met Barry. Everybody met Barry Bridges, apart from me. Yeah, maybe I should have said Barry Bridges met me, but that would be very. I think that's probably the best way. It around would be very. It. it would be very egotistical, and of course, I am not egotistical, and nor is the nor is the last of the quartet on the uh, the Chelsea fancast, otherwise known as the Beatles. Um, we've got not George, not uh, not John, not Paul, but we have Ross, aka Ringo Mooring. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, man. How are you? I'm all right. It's lovely to to have you on the show as always, Ross. But it's particularly lovely to have you in our new styley on Skype. How is it for you? It, it's good. It's good. All I all I can see is um, some celery and a pint of Guinness, as opposed to your. Uh, your face, but uh, it's it's good. I would say that that was a distinct improvement. <coughs> no comment. Yes. Now, whoever it is who's clicking or typing on their keyboards. Me, yeah, me, yeah. I'll stop. Sorry, Do not, no typing. I'm not, I'm not done. No, I'll stop. I'll stop. Because it, 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 it's, you know, if, 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 if I hear more clicking, typing, or extraneous noise away from the mics, I will change mics so that I pop and blow as much as I did last week. <laughs> and, and I can tell you, it was not popping and blowing of a very nice sort, but there you go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's lots of people in Mixler. Um, we've got, I mean, loads of people. We just quick rundown to see who we've got. We've got Bob Uzre. We've got Gary Wilson, who's all, who, who immediately, about five ten minutes ago, before we even went on air, started giving me jip about Fabregas. So he got it back. Uh, Dazza. We've got the lovely Debs. We've got Daniel. Daniel Cabral, who I need to sort out a, 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 a signed Cundy shirt for, and I will, Daniel. I will. Uh, Ramsey's in the house. The lovely Tony Glover, who I, I had a, a hilarious time with in the cock on uh, Sunday. The lovely Nicky Davidson, Dylan, Matt Jazz, Jonathan Perez. I mean, there's so many. I could I could spend the next two hours just reading out all the lovely people that we've got in the Mixler chat room, but I will spare you that. Uh, but what I won't do ever is sing the Fabregas has got his magic, he wears a magic hat again, uh, Gary. So there we go. I've cleared that up. Now, uh, but I ought to tell you what's coming up, really, hadn't I? Otherwise, we'll be waffling on, as always. On the show tonight, we will be saying good luck to King Kurt, Happy Zuma, who has, uh, as we've now found out, sustained a very nasty and season-ending injury uh, at the game yesterday. It is uh, an ACL, which is not nice. Uh, so we'll talk about that, and also we're going to ask how on earth we're going to cope without him. Uh, we'll also ask why Goose is being so cautious. Is he merely trying to protect his reputation, or is he focusing on bringing some much-needed stability to the club? Uh, in part two, we're going to look back at some excellent performances by Tebow and Costa, to name two, and ask why we're not unleashing Hazard to help Costa. And what is the point of signing a striker for six months on loan who's not actually going to be match fit for six weeks? Only Chelsea could do that. Uh, and then another question that will pop out of this is, uh, would you sell Oscar for 75 million quid? Seems to me like a much better idea than playing him out of position. But what do I know? Uh, in part three, we're going to look back at the Watford game and we're going to discuss the grossly unfair treatment yet again of Diego Costa. Diego Costa. And we're going to ask, uh, will it actually lead him to going back to Spain in the summer? Um, he has indicated that that might happen. Uh, we're also going to say fair play to the Liverpool fans. Not something you'll hear from me or on this show very much, but credit where it's due to those who walked out in protest at the high ticket prices. A campaign that I believe all matchday supporters should get behind. And to wrap up, in part four, we'll have the usual roundup of Chelsea Sporter News with some cracking emails from the listeners. Uh, and of course, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at seven o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, 
where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page these lovely people do and I will definitely try and respond to you when I can and of course you can tweet us at Chelsea Fancast and tell us anything you like about the games or indeed anything else you want to say on Chelsea so after this little bit of stingage we will be talking about Chelsea Man United we will speak to you in a second injury i mean there are people i know who were there who uh who actually said or that they could hear him screaming which sounds awful to me dan i, I would imagine you're probably about the nearest to that did you hear anything yeah um he's right right in my eye line he certainly went down and he did, did hear like a, a muffled scream so quite a long way back there's definitely some sort of some sort of noise in the players reactions you knew it was serious straight away because they're calling for stretches it looks a, a bad injury from the way he kind of landed and didn't fully come down with both feet and it's a real shame for him because he's, he's been a phenomenal phenomenal player and he's going to miss not only the rest of the season but uh, you know a European in his own country well he's going to miss 2016 yeah. which is a nightmare for him but he's also I mean they, they reckon six months so that'll take us to August so that's, uh, that's optimistic depending on the recovery but he, he will miss pre-season so I doubt, I doubt we'll really see him in a Chelsea shirt till September yeah, maybe October I mean, time I mean that's terrible Clayton, Clayton did you have a good view of it? Uh, yeah because I was sitting in front of my TV um, you could actually hear on the effects mics you could see him screaming over and over again it was actually quite disturbing uh, and it was one of those occasions where you actually wish the director would have actually shown a little bit of um, sense and moved away, but I suppose these things happen um, in in such quick time. Um, you could see the minute. I mean, he was. I don't know what he was doing. I mean, he was. He, he his leg was extended. He he got his body in the wrong position, um, and oh, it was awful. It really was awful. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, I I wasn't really you know massively aware of it when it happened, but. Obviously, you know, I saw it on, on Match of the Day last night and it looked horrific and there's, I've seen some of the stills, but he, he's definitely out and an ACL is no fun, as we know. Uh, the bottom line is, Dan, that side, I mean, he's been one of our best players this season, hasn't he? I mean, he's really going to be missed. Yeah, totally. He's, I mean, he's, he's had a pace to hold back four. He's been solid. He's improving game on, game on. And I think he was learning a lot playing next to John Terry. And it'll be a big miss because our, our dynamic of back four changes now because we've got two, two players not blessed with a lot of pace. So my fear for that is we're going to see a lot more of the, uh, the Mikel Matic protection in front of our, our slow back four. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's. It, it, I just wonder, you know, I wonder how much of a coincidence it was that uh, United scored about a minute or two after Zuma went off. Um, it's classic. I think we hadn't, didn't have a chance to sort of reset. Nobody picked up um, Lingard. I think a couple of it as Aspi got drawn out and he had a free turn. Cahill gave him half a yard and that's all he needed in the box he turned and shot and in fairness it was a really good finish I mean it was it was a good goal yeah. I mean I just I mean it, it would be very easy to point the finger of Blaine to Cahill and let's be be fair you know Cahill 
never gets too tight to a player and, and quite often leaves a bit of space. But, I mean, what I would say is that I, I just wonder how much it affected the, the team psychologically. Because I think when you see a, a mate and a, and a really key player, you know, get injured like that, I think, it, it you, you know, you, they can lose their concentration momentarily. But having said that, it was a cracking goal, wasn't it, Ross? It was, yeah. I, I'm not sure I, I buy that it had anything to do with Zuma going off because the cross took a slight deflection, which I think wrong-footed a couple of players. But having said that, United got in behind us several times during the game, so it was kind of only a matter of time before before they scored a goal like that anyway. I mean, here's... And, and as you say, it was, it was, it was a very good finish. He, he took a, a nice touch that set him up nicely and then... Uh, Courtois had no chance. Yeah, no, it was a good guy. I wouldn't blame Courtois for that. I mean, one, one thing I would say, Clayton, is that it, it suddenly puts a very different perspective on, on the JT issue because, I mean, a lot of people were saying that, you know, obviously we need, need JT this season to bring through youngsters like Zuma, and clearly that was happening. But, I mean, where, where do you think it leaves the club vis-a-vis John Terry? Um, I think it's quite fortuitous for the club, not for Kurt, because the club can actually perform a U-turn which doesn't actually make them look as big a practice as they are. But as we discussed last week, we don't know what's happened. Um, JT is saying they're not talking to him and JT is is the one that's that's using this. In terms of his own negotiation, I don't know. I think because we all speculate about why they're being slow about offering him a contract and is the fact that we're losing uh, a pretty decent prospect for quite a long time. Is that going to have any bearing on next season? If they, if they were intending to bring in another one or two centre-halves, as we've speculated, then perhaps it won't have any impact at all. Well, I, I'm going to ask you this question directly. Do you, do you think it will change their minds about... Let, let's assume, whoa, let's assume... Who's fallen over? I think maybe Clayton's just keeled over and died or something. No, that, that's the, that's our front door. Okay, well, um, let, me, let me rephrase. Do you think it will make them more inclined to keep JT or more inclined to let him go? At the moment, I think keep him. Mm. Okay. I mean, the other thing that occurs to me is that, of course, you know, it, it may give a chance for Mr. Miyagi or Matt uh, Miazga, as I believe he's called. Um, but, I mean... You know, I go back to what we were saying last week, which was, you know, this kid's going to have to do something pretty special to break into the side, even though there may be a space for him. And, you know, surely he, he can't be any better than Callis or Christensen, Ross. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was looking at that. I, I don't think we'd, we'd ever um, consider bringing Callis or Christensen back at, back at just this point. Um, mainly because they're getting guaranteed first-team football at the moment. We don't have a. We're um, not allowed to bring him back anyway. Apparently, according to the terms of the loan. Oh right. Well, well. In that case, there's definitely no chance. I think there's a chance they they one of them might stay on for a, um, uh, the duration of Zuma's injury at the beginning of next season. Um, but when it comes to Miazga, I mean, he's he's very much an unknown quantity, and you you kind of ask the question: Is he? better suited for first team football for Chelsea at the moment or, or would someone like Jake Clark Salter at under 21 level be a, be a better option really I mean you've got to think he's more used to the at least the British style of play and and you know he's he's well it depends really what, what the club what the club think of Miazga and whether he was just sort of a, a long term buy or, or, or whether he was he was brought in with immediate squad cover in mind Interesting Dan what do you reckon do you think do you think he'll uh, he'll get a chance <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer is you've got Ivanovic who can move centrally and you could start, you know, have, you know, a right, as Pierre to right back and give Babison game time. That could be the option. 
I mean, I haven't seen enough of Miazga. Um, Jonathan Sharp from Chicago doesn't think highly of him because he says it's a pub league. So it's a, it's, it's a big, big step up from MLS to playing you know, the, the Premiership. My obvious answer is you've got Cahill here. If one of those gets injured, Ivanovic comes over and you, you bring in Baba. So you, 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 don't, you don't sound too worried, Dan, which I like. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'll be amazed if this Miazga guy's up to it. He may well be in yeah. the future, but I don't see it now. Uh, and I mean, you know, Steve, CFC Mose just said one more defensive injury and the squad is in trouble. Branagh can play centre-back, Dave at right-back and then Babra at left-back. But after that, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I think I mean, it's, it's a good point, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think, and to be honest, I think the league's, the league's nothing now. I think we're all about the FA Cup, so I'm more concerned about cup games than I am about the league because the league's we're going to peter out into absolute mediocrity between now and May. More concerned about the focus being on the Champions League and more so the FA Cup. So from that point of view... It is a concern if we do get any more injuries to our, to our, you know, our defenders. Yeah, well, either way, I think a, a very warm and heartfelt uh, Chelsea fan, fan cast get well soon to Kurt Zuma because yeah. I think he's been brilliant this season. And I think of all the people to get injured, it, you know, I, I feel mo- more sad that it's him in a way. Uh, so there we go. Anyway, moving on, um, we should talk about, uh, you know, the game generally, which is, I, I think, really, for me, all about uh, Gus's caution. I mean... Why on earth is he so cautious? He plays two de- uh, two defensive midfielders at home. It was a cautious start. I thought they only woke up when United scored, and United were there for the taking. Why on earth is he so cautious, Clayton? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think that. Do you know what this reminds me of? I can't remember who the manager was at the time, but when we were coming towards the end of our unbelievably long unbeaten home record, you know, when it was in the 80s or 70s and 80s, there were several games towards the end of that run where we looked like we were were sort of trying not to lose rather than win, and this this has got the the feel of that. Um, I think that... Gus sees them up close. Um, he's the one that's got to make the call. I agree that um, it was cautious, and I, I, I'm always a little bit curious as to why there's two DMs at home for any game, Man United or anybody. Um, but I think we have to trust him. I know that, that I mean, being at home and uh, the, the Twitter meltdown when the, when the team was announced was just extraordinary. What, 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 I, what were they saying, Clayton? No, just everybody was saying was exactly what you're saying, that it was it was too cautious. Why are we doing this? After Wednesday against Watford, which we'll talk about, the whole Mikel um, Matic thing was, it obviously has its problems. Um, but I, I have to trust in him. I, I have to defend him. I think that he knows how fragile the team is. Um, if, if this is the way that he thinks that we can to get back I mean I'll ask the question to you guys um, who should he have played instead of instead of Matic and I'm I'm taking Hazard out of the equation because I don't think Hazard's fit um, well I'll answer first if you like and I would say yeah. if he's not going to play Matic which quite frankly I'd rather he didn't at the moment I would put I would play uh, Loftus-Cheek next to Mikel because I think if you've got Mikel there Mikel is solid and I think has been uh, you know, one of our best performances since Gus Turn uh, came back. So I think you could risk uh, Loftus Cheek next to Mikel Ross. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's 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 very much a very much a quandary there. Um, I mean, really, even though we're, we're being cautious, United in the game were were kind of picking us off going forward the way they were playing. I mean, 
the one problem really about Mikel and Matic is they're both quite immobile. I mean, they kind of read the read the game well. They're good, sort of good blocking players, but uh, Matter and Rooney and you know United's other forward players were managing to find the little holes between them and behind them, and, and they were able to play through us. And sometimes, you know, so, sometimes it's it's just diff- it's difficult to play play that sort of setup when you're at home. Um, fair enough if you're away from home playing counter-attacking football, but the onus is always going to be on us t- to attack, and, and I, I think we were caught between two stools there. You know what, Matic reminds me, where well, he looks to me like a player, he looks like a giraffe on an ether binge, and anybody who's read Hunter S. Thompson will know what I mean. Dan? Uh, <laughs> Tumbleweed. Yeah. Yeah, it's very impressive. That was actually true. that was actually very funny, but uh, you're obviously way above your heads. Yeah, points for the yeah. reference, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'll drop Oscar back next to Mikel, and possibly give Ichuore a go as a second striker. Just as a thought. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm going to talk about that actually. Uh, you know, in part three when we talk about Watford, but it, it's an interesting point, nonetheless. I just wonder, picking up on something that um, that Clayton was saying, I, I I think there are there may be two things going on here. One one is uh, slightly unfair, and one is possibly the truth. The first one, which is slightly unfair, is that you know Goose has got a completely unbeaten record as the Chelsea's manager, and he's also had a bit of a tough time recently. And I wouldn't put it past him because he is only human to try and go out with a bang, and to go out unbeaten would be some, uh, you know, some kudos to Gus. But I, I think in reality, I think what's what he's probably decided to do, and I suspect he's decided to do this in agreement with the board is to try and uh, bring back some sort of stability to the club. And I think the best way to do that is to stop them losing because we were wobbling like you wouldn't believe before he came. So it may be, may be a bit dull and cautious for us, but I think I think what he's trying to do is to rebuild the foundations, certainly psychologically for the players, and, and not losing is very much part of that. What, what do you think, Ross? Um, but... Perhaps I mean I, I don't think it's the, it's his reputation thing I I, I can't believe that's a, just a me manager. being rude I think yeah perhaps <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think he I think he is trying to you know make sure we're 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 not being as rocky as we were and I think he's probably quite surprised during his first first few games in charge that he, even you know with with the sort of um, re- refreshing change in management we were still shipping goals so i think that be that might be why he's sort of adopting a defensive approach and and as a result we've we've been a bit more secure at the back lately but i mean it's at some point he's either got to start uh, ch- changing the team i mean if if we don't have any hope of of europe um um, in the league, as as Dan said, there's there's no harm in sort of um, sort of being a bit more experimental, playing a couple yeah. of youth players or different formations or whatever. I would agree with and, that. And you know, there there would only be a game or two here, sort of in preparation for for big cup games if they start to come up. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's 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 paid. He was brought in not to not to, not to get us relegated, basically. Yeah. And I and I think he's he's he's. He's getting there, even if we're not really playing the football we want to see. But you know what, Ross? Uh, it is frustrating, nevertheless. Clayton, how about you like a stat or two? Um, we've now had six draws from ten games uh, with Gus, and that actually equals, if, if we'd have won those uh, six games instead of drawing them, uh, that's 12 more points, apparently, and that would put us uh, fifth on 42 points. So, yeah. um, I, I think that's that's a great stat, but I think you have to go back and you have to look at all those games that we've drawn, 
and have to ask yourself how many did we deserve to win? That's a very good point. I mean, um, and, and I, I don't think very many because if you think about, I mean, I, off the top of my head, so we, we drew against Manchester United yesterday. Thought that was a fair result. That was a, we point, drew, that was a point gained. Yeah, yeah, we we drew against Watford. Perhaps that is one that had there been a little bit more exciting substitutions earlier on, we might have won. Uh, the the two back-to-back games against Everton and West Brom, I can't say that we deserve to win either of those two games. I can't remember what the other two draws are. Oh, it was Watford at home, which we should have won because we missed the penalty. Um, and there is a another, which I can't remember. But the simple fact of the matter is that you can't say that... that that you left the ground at any stage feeling hard done by and oh we should have done that we should have done this i think we are where we are i think we're as good as where we are um and uh, yes i'm Gus is being very cautious but have you looked at the league table recently yeah i mean i think it's really interesting isn't it actually dan and i'll let, I'll let you just summarize that point in a minute but the table doesn't lie we say it every year and you know we we are looking like a team you know, a, a mid a mid table team at the moment. We played like it uh, yesterday. But Dan, just on the point of us uh, drawing uh, as opposed to winning. I mean, where where do you sit on this? It's it's transition again. We've had obviously everybody, all the players are badly burnt by by the, you know the Mourinho situation, and it's, it's going to take a while to get them you know back to their best. And it's 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 attitude of let's go out not to lose I'm not going to say we're going to win but we're not going to lose and if, you know every little point is a stepping stone I'm sure that point yesterday that last minute goal would have been an absolute wonders for confidence and you saw the you know cost of celebrations with John Terry you saw what it meant and it, it it's a it's small steps yeah. we're not going to we're not going to hit the ground running after the start we had but I'd rather just eke out draws here draws there go on a good cut run then you know as we know, leagues are right off and start all again in, in uh, August. I, th- I think that's a really uh, a great point, actually. And, you know, as I said, you know, we I think it would have been easy for many of us to just expect us to suddenly be like we were last season when we won the title and go ahead and win every game. But we are not that team anymore, I'm afraid. Chish, you could turn it on its head because where you're basically saying we're drawing and not winning, you could actually say we're drawing and not losing. Well, there we go. And you know what? You've absolutely nailed it, Clayton, because in part two in a few seconds, we're going to be talking about that point exactly. Uh, we will see you lot in a second. And after the break... We will, in fact, be looking back at uh, some excellent performances by Costa and Tebow. We'll also be asking why Goose is not unleashing Hazard to help the team out. And what is the point of signing a striker for six months on loan who can't even play? And, of course, would you sell Oscar for £75 million? Hopefully we'll have some answers for you in a sec. See you then. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Welcome back. I am Stamford Chidge, and you are listening to the Chelsea Fancast, and on this wonderfully perfectly formed show tonight we have the lovely Clayton Beerman good evening we have the lovely Ross Mooring hello Chidge and we have Dan Sills 
Hello, mate. Who is also lovely, I should, should uh, oh, hasten to Thank you. Yeah, I don't be left out. Yes, indeed. And uh, Tony Glover is, is one of the many people that are listening live in Mixler, and he has just pointed out that it was good to see you yesterday, Archbishop Chidge. The pub was a great laugh. It was indeed. And I should point out the reason that I am the Archbishop is that I, I called Tony, who was, of course, at the Podding Shed, I called him the Reverend Tony Glover last week. So there we go. Anyway, on with the show. Um... I think to start this off, I mean, just really picking up from what we were talking about in part one, really, um, at least we're not losing. Um, I thought, actually, I mean, I was talking to Dan before we went on air, and, and my, my overriding, you know, gut instinct watching the match live there, and, you know, I was in a good mood, because I'd had a really nice session with Rick Glanville and uh, Terry, True Blue Terry, and, and Tony, and Tim Rolls in the cock, and so I was in a good mood, I was quite pissed. And yet my overriding gut feeling was that it was really shit. You know, I thought I thought that they started really slowly. They just let Man United dominate them. Um, they were giving the ball away for fun. I mean, what was all that about? They just looked so fearful. And I couldn't understand that. Having said that, I thought, fair play, they did get back into the game. And actually, I think, you know, they really did wake up when, when United went 1-0 up. And I thought they gave it a right go, and they started playing, and I thought they played quite well. And actually, the reality is, you know, on another day, we might have won that. That last-minute last uh, shot by, uh, by Costa could well have, you know, given us a win. So it was, it was a bit curate's egg, wasn't it, Clayton? It was. It was. Um, it was. It's always quite interesting to watch it on telly because you see lots of things you don't see when you're in the ground, and you concentrate more uh, than when you're in the ground and yeah, speaking to I your mates. Um, I just thought it was a strange performance. I, I mean, if you read any of the reports today, it says that Man United dominated the game. Well, I think they had large parts of possession, but one of the things in one spell in the second half when we were ploughing forward before we equalised, the stat for 10 minutes was Chelsea had 92% of the possession and Man U had 8%. I think the other thing that we need to look at is the fact that um, their goalkeeper made three worldies. I mean, ours made a couple, but theirs made three. And I think with a bit more luck, we could have won yesterday, but did we deserve to win? Possibly not. But, you know, what does that, you know, when do people ever deserve and not deserve? It's, I think yesterday was just another reinforcement of the fact that we're actually not very good. Yeah. Um, I think we've got too many players who are not playing well. Um, I don't know if you want me to, to name names. Yeah, yeah, name, name, name and shame, Clayton. Name and shame. I thought Branner was was hopeless yesterday. I'm I'm getting really really frustrated with him. Um, the the number of times that man gets in a position to cross the ball and he hits the man in front of him is just legend. And I think it's because it's so slow getting the ball in. People are walking round him. Um, he's not the only one. I mean, I I thought I felt sorry for Oscar because Oscar. We saw what he can do when he's played in his correct position. Uh, when okay, it was only MK Dons, but he looked great. Uh, but he was poor yesterday. I thought Pedro was just disappointing when he came on. You you want him to you want him to do something, and I know it's difficult as a sub, but I just can't see it. Um, whether it's ever going to happen, I just don't know. But then you look at the positives. You look. I thought Thibaut was excellent yesterday. I thought JT was great. Costa was fantastic. Mikel had another solid game. And, I'm sorry about this, Mr Wilson, I thought Fabregas played well. 
I thought no, he no, played no. well. No, Gary's a big fan, I think. Of oh, he is a big fan. It's me who thinks he's dog shit. I, <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was good. I thought the other thing was, and, and I think it's quite interesting, it's actually, you look at all these guys and they have separate good performances, but I don't actually think as a team you could say we played well. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. You know, it does make it. It makes totally. Sorry. Yeah, total sense. Yeah. We can't. You know, we can't get eight or nine to have a good game at the same time. There's like one or two or three, but as we know, we need eight or nine players to be at a high level to get anywhere near. You know, our performances. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, a good example of what I'm talking about, and I think this was this was another, I think, consequence of what happened with Kurt Zuma going off, is the fact that William who is without doubt our player of the season, who sparked us yesterday because he went on that fantastic run after we'd been pegged back for like 20, 25 minutes. He just ripped them to pieces and we nearly scored. The last 20 minutes, he was blowing out his backside. Yeah, but he's having, he's, to, he's having to do the work of the other 10. Exactly. And, and we could have done with, I mean, because if you think about, he had one free kick, which was brilliant, which Costa nearly scored from. But... We had two or three corners and free kicks over on the on the left hand side in the second half, where he was hitting the first man, which is just not him. He's just tired. Yeah. Is that your phone, Clayton? Yes, it is. I can't go into a hermes, hermes sealed room. Answer the phone, woman. You know what? You know what I do. You know what I do when that happens. I just yeah, I I'll answer it and delete immediately. Okay. So yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I, I think I think you make some really valid points there, mate. I mean, Steve, uh, CFC mode on here was, I think, reflecting a lot of the opinion in Mixler last night. As I've been casting, uh, sorry, tonight as I've been casting my eye over it, which is basically, um, you know, a we are playing pretty badly and the the players are awful, uh, and but we shouldn't apologise for them because they are the champions and they're paid a lot of money and they're. You know, it's an expensively assembled squad, and I, and I kind of understand both points of view. Really, I understand where Steve's coming from, but you know, just because we're champions and we've been there and done it, it doesn't mean that that they will play well. And you know, they are it, it, it is what it is. They are playing like shit a lot of the time. You know, uh, I, none of us, nobody has had the answer at all this season. But there you go. Let's talk about something positive, uh, Dan. I I thought Costa put in a really good shift yesterday, and and was at it in a way that I like him to be. Yeah, that that was the best of Costa. He didn't, he didn't you know, get himself involved with rows or arguments. A couple of really good runs between the lines. The first half shot when he screwed it across the face of the goal, the goal itself. He's just making some really intelligent runs and being a real pain for the defenders. I mean, small, in fairness, Smalling had quite a good game against him, but I think that's the cost you want to see week in week out playing playing the game making the runs making chances and not getting into rows with everybody uh, Gary Wilson who of course is uh, one of my favourite posters on Mixler has just made a point Steve Mode was at Jimmy Greaves' debut so he has seen some good stuff <laughs> that is very true actually <laughs> on, on both counts that's a cracking post um yeah, I mean, I thought Costa was okay. I mean, it, clearly, though, uh, and, and I think this is the other thing that really frustrated me, is that, you know, when you've got... A, I thought you know, United actually played quite well, and I mean, they went at us. They they weren't... As, they, they, they didn't play like we've been playing, if you see what I mean, and they've been playing like we've been playing for a lot of the season. <laughs> they actually went at us, and I thought that that caused us a problem because, of course, what it did was it, it, it left a massive gap between Costa and the, you know, front... Uh, you know, the, the attacking midfielders. 
and he and he got quite isolated and I really felt for him and you know and, until Hazard came on he was getting no help at all and I just wonder how how much it frustrates him but it 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 also kind of you know when when you see uh, Pedro coming on who who is a chap that we've been saying for weeks you know is just not a Premier League player he may be a La Liga player but he is not a Premier League player. And I, much as he tries, and I love him for his effort, he just can't cut it in this league. And it, it makes me think, you know, why on earth did this club buy Pet, uh, Pato when they knew that he wasn't going to be able to play for six weeks? It's just absolute insanity, Ross. Yeah, uh, just quickly, where did you have you heard that six-week figure somewhere? Well, I've, I've heard. I've heard. Um, it's around that, isn't it, Dan? It's not quite. Basically, Gus said he's on some sort of program. Because he's not had a pre-season, so everyone's assuming it's six weeks. What I imagine is they're probably put onto a two-week program. I wouldn't surprise if we see him sort of post Man City match. Well, okay, was... okay, let's put it around another way. You know, he's not—he's not even fit, fit, let alone match fit. Well, we, I don't know what his fitness situation is. Gus said he's on a special program for because he hasn't had a pre-season. I mean, he might—he may have base levels of fitness. I don't know. I, I can't imagine six weeks. I imagine it'll be two weeks. I think possibly. Uh, City game, might see him on the bench or um, who do you play after City? Uh, I can't think of the top of my head. But I think we'll see him in February. I can't believe we won't see him until mid-March. Yeah, well, he, I, he hadn't played any games, I don't think, but I, I think they were building up their pre-season yeah. there. So, so hopefully it is before the end of the month. Yeah, he's not played a game since November, a competitive game since November. So he's not that far off the pace. Mm. It's, I just think it's bonkers. Anyway, enough of that. Ha- uh, you know, Clayton, you were talking about Hazard a minute ago and uh, there seem to be two schools. Of th- there's a lot of supporters who are frustrated. I mean, Marco Worrell's ESPN column this week uh, was very, very rude about about Gus not playing Hazard for the obvious reasons. We we looked a different side when he came on, even though he's not really back to full form yet. But on the other side, you know, Gus says, "Well, look, you know, he's been injured. We don't want to rush him back. We want to try and protect him a bit." I mean, I can I, again, I can see both sides of that argument, Clayton. Well, I think this goes back again to what I was saying about trusting the manager. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is that you'd have to say, if he's fit, why isn't he playing him? He he's not fit. I don't think he's fit. I don't. I think when he came on against Watford, he looked fantastic. I thought he looked less fantastic yesterday. But even saying that, when you've got somebody else like him on, it puts the defence of the opposition on the back foot and they're worried and they're not concentrating as much as they were before. And I think Dan made a great point um, earlier on about Traore. And I was thinking that yesterday when I was watching it, I was thinking in those moments, and you were talking about it, Chich, Costa looks so isolated. Yeah, yeah. He really did. I mean, the fact is that Oscar's shoved out onto the right or to the left, well, onto the onto the uh, is it the, is it what was he playing yesterday? The left, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. He's playing on the left and playing. Like, he's playing more on the right. Was he? But they kind uh, of swap, don't they? Yeah, but but the simple fact of the matter is they're still miles away. They're not giving because if you've got two big centre halves, they can take care of Costa. Mm. If you've got somebody else to think about, then it's it's more of a challenge. I mean, I know it's obvious, but anyway, going back to your original point, I just don't think Hazard's fit. I don't think. You know, I think he's he's got enough to give us 20 minutes, 25 minutes. But I think if he was fit, he'd be playing. I don't think Gus is, is that worried about his undefeated record that he wouldn't play the best player in the club. Well, in a, in a way, in a way, I'm kind of you know, I, I like to see Hazard play because I think he, he you know even a horribly out of form Hazard offers more than we have at the moment. So I'd rather see him playing. But uh, 
I'm also quite in favour of, of protecting him a bit. Actually, I think I think I think this is as much of psychological as much psychological protection as it is physical protection. And I think if we want to keep him beyond you know the, the end of the season, I, I think treating him right and looking after him might be the way to do it because he looks like the kind of player who needs an arm around him always has mm-hmm. done really so I don't think that's a bad thing now talking of players who are off form or not I mean it's a very interesting thing about Oscar because people are very quick to get on Oscar's back um, but I, I do wonder number one you know it, it can't be easy when he's being played out of position and, and number two well actually a bit like Ramirez what is his best position Dan? I don't know I mean he's, he's definitely got a talent you know, for, for a small man, he's strong, he can tackle, he can pass, he can score. I still think he, his best role is deep in the field next to a McCurl, yeah. where he can influence the game more. He's got a fantastic range of passing. I know he's, you know, he's one of our Marmite players in terms of what you read on social media, but I've, I've got a lot, a lot of time for him. I think playing in the right position, he hasn't got pace, so he's not going to be a wide man. I don't think he's number 10. Put him next to... Mikel, let Mikel do the dirty work, give it to Oscar, and let yeah. Oscar you know, use his talents to find you know, the, the hazards and the, I, so on and so forth. I think that's an excellent point, Dan. I'll bring it up with the other, the other guys in a minute. But I, I, I've been saying this for two years on this show, that I think that Oscar should be, you know, I, I hate to use this term, but on the pivot. Uh, for me, he was always... I always thought he was the, he was the, the natural successor to Frank Lampard. So somebody yeah. who could make... Uh, runs from deep and have the skill to get on the end of it, which he clearly yeah. does. Uh, he's not. A, uh, he's hang on. He's not a winger, that's for mm-hmm. sure. I don't think he's a number ten either, because I just don't think he can affect the game as well uh, from there, or, or, or as well as other people can. And I think the problem that we've got in defensive midfield is that we're playing two defensively minded midfielders, or at any rate. I mean, even when Matic was on form last year, he was getting a nosebleed if he went across halfway line. <laughs> You know, he is not, I don't think he's got the skill or the mentality to be an attacking, you know, the guy that can break from deep and go forward. But well, I think Os- Oscar might be. And I mean, if yeah. you, you know, as you say, play Oscar next to Mikel. I think that's a great, that's yeah. potentially a good one. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you think, Ross? Yeah, I mean, Oscar's a bit of a strange one. I think in the, the way the game is played in this day and age, to be to be a number 10, you have to be absolute world class to, to, to sort of get get the best out of the position. Um, I'm not sure he's got the defensive instincts necessarily to play alongside Mikel in that four, sort of four-two-three-one formation. I, I agree with Dan; he he can tackle and he and he's physically, you know, not as 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 small as as he looks. I think he's more suited, most suited, really, in in sort of the old school Chelsea four-three-three formation yeah. when uh, when Lampard was playing that sort of classic number eight role where he can break forward. Um, but there are other midfielders around him. I think I think that's a really good point. Although I mean, I disagree with you on one, one in one respect, Ross, and that's uh, about his defensive abilities in a defensive midfield. I mean, if you've got one brilliantly reliable bloke like Mikel, who's just going to tackle people, intercept, stop the attack, and then pass it to somebody else, you know, do you really need another defensive-minded uh, midfielder there? I mean, you know, and anyway, Matic is bloody hopeless at tackling and covering anyway so it can't be doing any more damage no it's not it's not so much about um um, and he can't tackle sort sort of um having one player do one thing and one player do the other when when you've got two of those players sitting they both have to be able to read the game and intercept yeah well i think he can Um, mate yeah, I think Oscar's... Um, well, no, because defensive instincts are slightly different to 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 in- attacking instincts. I mean, we've seen players play deep before and, and sort of and sort of look very lost. Well, I don't think uh, Oscar's I, I do one think of them. he, I do think he can tackle, but he, he's 
you know, you, you've got to be able to sit there and, and read the game from a defensive perspective, not from a sort of just you, you, general... You know what, Ross, you know what I think... Well, one thing I would agree with you with, and I'd be interested because we've got Davi uh, from Brazil in the house here. Oscar was the player who won more tackles for Brazil in the World Cup. There you go. So that's, that's, a, yeah, that's, 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 that's an interesting the topic. The ability to tackle isn't the same as the ability I agree. to, to get the and, and that's, Can I ask well, Davi a question? I, where does one, he, one second, where does... Hang on a second, Dan. Um, yeah. Let me just finish on this point. Uh, the one thing I would agree with you, Ross, is that Oscar strikes me as a player who wants to be involved up front you know, being fancy, doing flicks, scoring spectacular goals, and 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 I and I think you're you're right in one respect that I think his positional sense and positional play would mean he would be a liability in the defensive midfield role. That's my point. Dan, come in. I was going to say firstly, if Dan is still there, where does Oscar play for Brazil, and how effectual is it? And also, I think Oscar's got has got to spend. It's quite often I've seen him track back, pick up players. So I think he has got a degree of discipline in a position. Because quite yeah, often it's you're, you're, just tracking back isn't the same thing as being able to. Yeah, sit, but if you if you if you have a position where you're coming forward, you know, you, if if for example the opposition's number five is coming forward, that he knows that's his man. He's got to track back with him. He's more than capable of doing that and put in a good tackle. So as Chish said, if you've got Mikel doing the really dirty, ugly work, and Oscar has got a degree of defensive, you know, awareness, tackling, watching his man, I think I think he could work. What do you, what do you think about all of this, Clayton? You've been sat there very patiently listening to us waffle on. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm a huge Oscar fan. I, I despair at the amount of grief he gets. I can understand why it divides opinion. Um, I think that he suffers from the fact that we are so poor at the moment. I think he's getting game time. I think he was given a pretty raw deal under Jose. I mean, Jose, every time he screwed up, seemed to haul him off. Um, I think he, he needs to be the minister without portfolio. I think he just needs to be able to run and do things. He can do a lot of stuff. He can tackle. Um, I think he probably, I, I do like him deep. I do like him deep. I think he, he can he can dictate play. I think, he's a, I think he's a really good player, but he may suffer from one of these players that nobody actually knows where his best position is. Yeah, that's kind of my worry. Um, I think that the one thing that he can do, which we have, Desperately, desperately missed since Frank's gone. He score goals. Yeah, you know he he is a midfielder that can score goals, but the the positions that he's being asked to play in are not positions whereby he can actually get himself into goal scoring opportunities. All right, very quickly, I've got some great feedback from uh, Mixler Davi, who is in Brazil. Lovely to hit see you in here, Davi. He plays as a number ten uh, in the World Cup for Brazil. Sometimes changing positions with Neymar which I think is interesting. And I've got a lovely post from uh, Gary, of course, and I have to respond to this. Uh, Gary says that Fabregas should be number 10 full stop. I think he should be number 10 bus stop. <laughs> uh, and there we go. Um, let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this on a, a second, actually, because I think we could, uh, a bit like a lot of Chelsea's players who run around like headless chickens, we could run around like head, headless chickens just discussing this. I just want to finish our little chat with Oscar very, very briefly and really just pose the question... To you first, Clayton, would would you have sold him for seventy five million? Uh, no, Why? and Gary's up. Gary's asked me that. I think it was fifty seven million. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that there's no way he would have gone. Why? Why would a twenty three year old want to end his career and go to China? Absolutely no way. I mean, whether we would have wanted to have sold him or not, there's absolutely no way that Oscar would have wanted to go to China to carry on playing football. So you don't you you don't think. Uh he would have gone even if the club would have wanted to sell him no absolutely no way interesting uh, Dan, he's, Dan, how, he's, he's 23 yeah 
he's basically a Brazilian international. He's playing in the Premier League, and and let's you know he, if he's not going to be here next year, be in in Syria or uh, out in Spain. There's no way. There's no way he'd go to to there. I mean, he he can make enough money over here. Mm, okay, Dan, what do you think? Um, I disagree to a point with Casey. I don't think he will go, but you look at Tick Shearer. I don't want him to go. No, nor do I, nor do I. But you think Tick Shearer, who's only 26, has gone from um, Shakhtar to the, the Chinese League. I was listening, they are investing some serious, serious money over there. And if you're offered ridiculous, life changing money, I, d- I don't think the Brazilians necessarily have the same affinity with the European League as, as you know European players. Yes, they like it because it's where the money is. But if someone says to you, like, you know, here's 250 grand a week, be a star player for a, a Chinese team, I think he would give it some serious consideration because he's still getting the Brazil squad, even even out in China. So I don't think, I'm glad he hasn't gone. But I well, think... can I can I just, in, just, just come back on that, Dan? Because I think yeah, there's a difference playing for Shakhtar the next and basically then going to China. Oh, no, I, 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 you know, I, I think Oscar, I think the Premier League, it's got to be better than a Russian league, although. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I just think that I'm, it's, pretty, it's pretty closer. China yeah. to Russia. All right, all right, all right, all right. I tell you what. I mean, I'm going to ask Ross first, and I'm going to tell you what I think. Ross, would you sell him for 75 million? Um, in the summer, I would, uh, I would do for that amount of money. Um, just, just because it's, it's almost a stupid amount of yeah. money, really. But, but the club would, would, would never have done it in January because it was quite late, and B because when um, the January transfer window is, is is when you might buy a player, but selling 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 a player for that amount of money, it's not going to affect the financial fair play for yeah, well, they, next they, season. They sold Ramirez. They sold Ramirez. I think that was more generally about making sure the books were properly balanced, and also it, it was well above the market rate. But but selling Oscar, you wouldn't be able to use all of that FFP capital in the summer because it, the accounting year. Um, ends at the end of the season yeah. as opposed to during the next transfer window. Mate, I, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think from a, I, I think that that that's true and that does come into it. I'll be I'll be honest with you, people. I mean, I would sell him for 75 million. I would sell him for half that. I uh, you know I I like the guy. I had huge, huge, huge hopes for Oscar when he when he turned up. But I, I, I know he's still young, Clayton, and all of that. But I, I, he, he is not doing it for me. He really isn't. Davies just said something very interesting here as well on Mixler that in the national team he goes off and Lucas Lima comes on. I think that's a, a, a kind of indictment of where Oscar is in the, in the in the broader scheme of things. The other thing, of course, is we sold Juan Mata uh, on the premise that Oscar was going to be our man. But I mean, since we did that, he's he's most significantly not been our man. And I think he dis- he disappears too often. And, you know, I, 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 frankly, you know, if we could get somebody better in his position, I would do it. And if we could sell him for that kind of money, I would. And it pains me to say it because I, I desperately wanted Oscar to be the next big thing at Chelsea. But I sadly don't see it happening. Uh, final words from people. Dan, would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think he's, he's certainly, he's, he's been a 6 out of 10. I really, really look at players to be 8, 9 out of 10. Mm. You know, he... he He's been the curate's egg for us. Yeah, I think since he signed. Yeah, Ross, am I, uh, have I talked any sense in that, or have I been unfair? Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's not quite the player we we thought he was going to be. But I've just looked it up on Wikipedia, and you know, always you, a reliable you, source, Ross. Oh, well, Ross, yeah, always. I'm not going necessarily for <laughs> opinions there, but he's already he's already played um, 260 wow. career games. 
I mean that, that he he he's played so much for Brazil. He's he's barely had any sort of summers summers off in the last few years. I I think he, I I think personally he's just he's he's gassed from just playing so much football well, ever since he was sort of seventeen eighteen. It's, may, he's that. played a lot of football and and I think at some point you you do just get you lose that sort of spring in your step even at his young age. Clayton, uh, are you going to punch me the next time I see you? No, not at all. Because I, the, the thing is, I, you look at David Luiz, I was absolutely gutted we sold him. I know that lots of people um, were quite happy that he went. But we got offered the most ridiculous amount of money for him. I think the, the upshot of all of this is, yes, somebody offers you stupid money, you take it. It's what you replace it with. So if you tell me we're selling Oscar and we're getting Pogba in, or we're getting somebody else in. Announce Podgba. You know, <laughs> if, if you tell me you're doing that, then I'll say fine. I mean, I, we, we all know that the club sort of looks like it's about making money rather than building a squad, which you know, that's generally a statement. But I think if you sell a player, who's coming in to replace him? I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Very quickly, because I've gone over time, of course, in our excitement about uh, digging Oscar out. But I'm just going to ask Clayton this. Uh, tell me what you thought of De Gea and Thibaut uh, yesterday, mate. Uh, it was goalie porn yesterday. It was fantastic. <laughs> the pair of them were just superb. I'm so pleased because Thibaut's just getting so much stick. And yes, he hasn't been up to his normal high standard, but he's injured. He's getting back to it. The saving made in the first half was stunning. Absolutely stunning. Uh, the... The three saves that um, De Gea made in the, in the second half, but the one from Ivanovic was fantastic. I know it was up high, and that's easier than down low, but I thought that was a brilliant save. I thought the save from Fabregas was, was okay. I mean, it was point blank, but the save in the last minute from Costa was a brilliant save as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I mean, just the pair of them were just superb. I was desperate. Absolutely brilliant. I, I was desperate to leave you the final word on the goalkeepers, Thank but, you very but, much. but it but it really really was. And I of course where I sit, I had a wonderful view of that Ivanovic shot, and that was going in ninety nine times out of a hundred. That that was a world class save. It was blinding. Yeah. It was absolutely blinding. You know, I think sometimes you get a little bit too downbeat about the standard of football in the Prem I think it's gone down to a certain extent but then you see world class stuff like that and the goal that United scored was a fabulous goal you know that, that they, they were quality moments yeah. they really were I thought Thibaut's save from Martial in the first half was, was very good as well I had a, I had a cracking view have you, have you seen it on TV yeah, since? yeah 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 I've seen it on TV since but I thought, wow. it, was, I thought it was pretty good at the time right we've got to move on otherwise we're going to run horribly over uh, which we do like to do uh, but don't worry you lot we, after the break we're going to look back at the Watford game and discuss the grossly unfair treatment yet again of Diego Costa and ask will it lead to him going back to Spain in the summer and we're also going to have a chat about the uh, the Liverpool fans walking out in protest at the high ticket prices uh, a campaign that I think all match day supporters should get behind no matter what club you're in and for, the, for those of you listening on Mixler I will put a link up to a fantastic article written by John Nicholson for football365.com today on that very issue we will see you in a second Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. 
welcome back. I am Stanford Chidge, and you are listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. And on tonight's show, which is, I don't know why, it sounded vaguely intellectual tonight. I wonder if that's because me and Jonathan aren't here to lovey it all up and uh, try and out, uh, what, what's the word, upstage each other every five seconds. But it, it's, it's definitely been, I felt it to be quite intellectual tonight. And that is probably because we have the wonderfully erudite Clayton Beerman. Good evening. The deep thinking Ross Mooring. Good evening. And the analytically inclined Dan Silver. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that. There yeah, thank go. you. There we go. Uh, you can pay me later, chaps. Um, all right, I just want to have a quick chat about uh, what the Watford game, really, rather than talk about the game, which was about as turgid as the one on Sunday was, with a couple of major points from it, or one in particular. But I also want to spend some time talking about the Peasants' Revolt, but we'll leave that till the second half of it. Um, first off, um, I, I, I watched this on the telly, uh, and like like you were saying, Clayton, you, you get a very interesting perspective on it when you do. You, you know, as you said, Clayton, you get a very very different perspective of uh, of what's going on that you just don't get when you're at the ground. And for example, in the TV cut, you had absolutely no idea uh, what was going on no. with Costa because in, in they, they followed the ball. And the next thing that you saw was that it was all kicking off with Costa and that idiot Deeney and the, and the Watford bench and everything else. And so your immediate reaction was, uh-oh, uh-oh. Here we go, here <laughs> we go. Yeah, you know, he's been naughty. He's done a naughty one. Oh, what have you done now? Blah, 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 blah. And if you recall, it was pretty tense. It was nil-nil. It could have gone either way. And you're thinking, oh, no, what have you done? And then when they showed it back, and they did this, the interesting thing is they did this, you know, obviously they had the footage of it, and they showed it back, and then Paredes um, basically just uh, pushed uh, Drogba. I, I saw they had gone off with him, and then basically he, uh, Costa just pushed him very lightly in the back, and, and he went down rolling around holding his face. And it was that was just absolutely appalling, and no wonder Costa blew his nut at that. And, and I think the Chelsea bench were all up in arms. Now, just bear with me for a second. Um, the, the worst thing of all was that the, the BT commentators afterwards, after the game, all picked up on Costa, all making a big meal of him making a big meal of it. Very few of them mentioning that Paredes had been an absolute shit. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. 
Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jij? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Ed for rolling around clutching his face. And then on Sky, on the snippet that they showed, it was all Costa Crimes again, and they all they showed you uh, was... Uh, was was Costa pushing somebody? They didn't ever show the bit of Paredes rolling around on the floor, clutching his face, and it's just—I I mean, talk about bias! It was outrageous, Clayton. Um, I tend to turn off the telly at half time and at full time because I can't stand it. It's it's just all garbage that I normally don't agree with. Obviously, I watched it after we beat Arsenal, but that's another story. Um, but on this particular occasion, you're quite right, because I think they started off their half-time review, and let's be fair, there wasn't actually any football to review with the whole Costa thing, and it's Costa this, and it's Costa that, and he has to calm down, and he has to do this, and he has to do that. Well, I'm sorry, but when somebody cheats as badly as this guy does, he's got every right to be annoyed. Yeah, I mean... And, the, and, and the, just the one thing that really, really hacks me off, and I know it's not going to happen is the fact that Paredes should have been charged by the FA for bringing the game into disrepute. You get pushed on the shoulder and you go down clutching your face with both hands and rolling around. I mean, Troy Deeney, I've not got a lot of time for him, but at least he came out afterwards and said, actually, that was really embarrassing. Yeah, actually. You know, the the FA are absolute... I know they'll say, well, the referee dealt with it. Well, okay, the referee dealt with it, but the referee didn't see what that guy was doing. And what that guy was doing was cheating. I mean, just awful cheating. I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised that Costa gets wound up by it. I mean, mean, he don't help himself, to be fair, but even so, that was was just somebody trying to get him sent off again. I mean, you know, when we were kids... Try Dan, Chidge. Yeah, yeah, he's just rebooting, apparently. He says he's back on. (laughs) I'm I'm texting him. Uh, talking about rebooting, I mean, when we were when we were all playing football as kids, if somebody had done that, they would have got booted in the face. I mean, there would have been no no holding back because that is. I mean, uh, you know, the the best the best retort that I could come up with was that um, that Paredes. I think I said this on Twitter. Paredes eats guinea pigs. Pass it on, because of course, being Ecuadorian, <laughs> he does eat guinea pigs. Isn't that right, Davy? Uh, but it was just outright. What, what really made me so cross, Ross, was the fact that the double standards of it, which was rather than looking at a player blatantly trying to get somebody sent off in the most outrageously cheating way, they concentrated on, on Costa losing his shit, which in the scheme of things, I thought he was quite restrained, Ross. Yeah, it's just it's just strange the way the media sort of fixates on something and then and then that's the only thing they will go on about and because you know no one knows who Paredes is so they just they just immediately go go to Costa I mean he doesn't really I think his general his general way of playing he does go really close to the line um and and I think most of the time he's actually fair it's sort of give and take give and take but he he does mouth off a fair bit and as such it's it it can come across as as not necessarily crying wolf, but 
you know, the referee will see him doing that four or five times a game and he won't necessarily know the difference between something that's that's really bad and Costa just having a bit of a moan. But but going back to it, it's just it's you know, I, I, I'm totally with Clayton. I, I don't bother watching it half time or full time when I'm when I'm on when I'm at home watching on TV. It's there's there's just little point. You you you're better off just watching the football and then uh, and then having a cup of tea. I like the fact that you all impose a media blackout. I'm afraid that I am just not as uh, as disciplined as you all. Um, the, the, just to, to kind of put a line under the Costa thing because I think when it, when he's clearly being, I mean, and 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 I think now there is evidence well before us to say that he is clearly singled out. Um, there has been a few rumours that he's not happy in London, he's not happy in the English game, and he's in fact not happy about being singled out in the way that we describe, and there's a good chance he may well go back to Atletico in, in, in the summer, Clayton. I mean, would you blame him? I wouldn't blame him in the slightest. I'd be absolutely gutted. I think um, just the way he's played in the last couple of games, just a flavour of what he's like. The one thing that's quite interesting is I think it's mentioned that he's a real form player. He either goes on a streak, or I mean a streak player on a form player. If he goes on streaks, he's either brilliant or he's nowhere to be seen, as, as we saw. Um, I think it would be awful if he, if he left because of that. But, you know, the thing is that it started with his first game. The first game in on goal against Burnley, brought down, blatant penalty, referee booked him for diving. And it's been like that since day one. The referees yeah. made up their mind about him. Yeah. before he stepped off the plane. And I think he's suffered, and I, look, don't get me wrong, he doesn't help himself. He really doesn't. Uh, yesterday there was that moment where he thought he should have had a penalty, and he went bonkers at the referee. You can't do that. I mean, I thought no. the referee was actually fairly decent yesterday, apart from missing the blatant penalty. Um, but you can't. He, he doesn't help himself, and... Everybody loves a, a boo boy, don't they? So if it's not him, it's Suarez. When Suarez, you know, is, is in the game, there's always somebody, and he's just the one at the moment that that uh, everybody singles out. But it'd be a great shame if he leaves. Well, he, I think he he definitely conforms to the role of uh, pantomime villain, villain. That's for sure. Of course he um, does. I, 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 Ross, I mean, will you will, you know? Do you think he might be off ski in the summer? And again, as I said to Clayton, would you blame him? Uh, yeah, I think I think there is a very good chance that he'll he'll be gone. Um, you, as I think Clayton said it all really he's he's probably fed up with it he's not necessarily sort of a, a good a good fit in terms of the culture I don't, I don't think he's he's sort of really um, learnt the lingo that well he obviously has a great rapport with the fans here but the, the you know the, the way he gets treated by the media and, and, I, and I don't think he necessarily cares per se but it's got to be really tiring I, I really feel for him I mean I, I think Clayton was right he does make a rod for his own back but uh and I think some of his behaviour is bloody stupid. But, uh, I, you know, when you see him on form and you see him terrorising the opposition, and I think more importantly, when you see him put in the effort he clearly put in yesterday and, and then you see him score seven goals in nine games, you realise, you know, what a great striker he is and how important he is for us. Dan, I think you may well be back with us. Yeah, I'm back. Hallelujah! Back. Yes, uh, yeah, he's back. Oh, it's good to hear you, mate. Yeah. You just, hurrah! You, hurrah! You just went off down to the pub for a pint, didn't you, mate? Be honest. Uh, truth be told, yeah, too. Yeah, you yeah. lucky boy. Um, you heard us talking about Costa. Where do, where do you yeah. sit on this? Do you um, think he might go? Would you Would you be sorry to see him go yeah, if he does? Yeah, oh, totally. I think he's he's a he's got determination, passion. He's a goal scorer. Yes, he's got histrionics, but you, you take that on board with all he gives. I mean, he's never been sent off for us. Apart from a retrospective, we played Liverpool. Um, 
he doesn't help himself on the pitch. I don't think he's properly, you know, embraced the culture in terms of learning the language, which probably hasn't helped him either. I think he's a phenomenal striker, and I'll be sad to see him go because he's. We haven't got a lot of characters in our team if, if JT goes, and if he goes, we're literally down to bare bones. So, pure point of view of determination and hunger, we should be looking, doing all we can to keep him. Definitely. All right. Okay. Uh, quick straw poll: Is he going to go? Yes or no? Ross. Yes. Dan. Uh, yes. Clayton. Oh, I'm afraid so. Yeah. Uh, Chidge. Mm, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I wouldn't Hope be. Su- I wouldn't be surprised. So I think we'll call that three and a half out of four, which is kind of pretty depressing, really. But there you go. Uh, talking of things that are depressing, um, Nemanja Matic. Uh, what an absolutely god-awful performance by him on, on, on Watford. I do not understand how somebody who can be so good last year can be so utterly abysmal this year, Clayton. What is What has gone on with this lad? Don't know. Uh, great shame. Um, I've, I've said it before, sound, sound like a broken record, but he's never been the same since that. Uh, but, that but, sent yeah. him off. Um, yeah. Was it Burnley? Where yeah. I tried to kill him. Ashley, um, whatever his name was. Yeah, and and he just hasn't. He's had the occasional good game here and there, but something. Good game. Happened. Good game. Good game. I don't know whether it's fitness. I don't know what it is, but he seems to have lost all confidence whatsoever. Um, he'll do something pretty good, and then he'll do something goddamn awful. So, no, I don't. I don't know what's happened. I really don't. Of course, there's talk that he might go in the summer as well, uh, Dan, because I think he, he he's shot, and I think he needs a change. He needs he, he needs somewhere else because I think he's he's got that bad. I think that's the the impression that I get. Do you think there's do you think there's some truth in that, Dan? Uh, possibly. I mean, the way we're going, we're going to have you know last person out, please turn off the lights. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happened to him. He's the burn. I was talking to someone on Twitter yesterday, and we both came to the conclusion after the Burnley game, he got away without a serious injury. And he hasn't been the same since. But then we got into a greater, greater debate that, as a team, you know, yes, we won two competitions in the last calendar year plus this year. Footballing wise, we've been distinctly average. I mean, yes, I know we won the league, I know we won a cup, but the actual football on the pitch has has not been great. So you may you may you may think, well, the, the, the problem is much more deep deep rooted than just Matic and one or two other players. There is a you know a fundamental problem. At the core of the club. Yeah, it's, it's, is, you know. I, I think I think for me, you know, I, there's only one way to describe Chelsea Football Club, from top to bottom, from pitch to boardroom. It's an absolute clusterfuck, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering where you're going with that. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's not difficult to disagree. I think the the only department in the football club that's working is 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 the academy. Um, I mean Matic. I just lost. He's been one of my favourite players the last couple of years. I mean, he, yeah. he walked into the the team in Jose's first season um, when it, you know he had Mikel Ramirez and a, and a sort of semi declining Lampard at that stage, and and he was the player who 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 just showed exactly how good someone who's playing in that sort of deep lying two can be. And now he's playing exactly like that they were, you know, two two years ago. I, I I'm just I'm just at a loss. It might be that yeah. Burnley thing. I think partly ever since the sort of second half of last season, he was just running around covering Fabregas for, for, for 90 minutes every twice a week. So 
yeah. what it what it is. I'm I'm hoping he, he you know if he gets a good rest this summer, he might be back to his best next year. I, I I'm loving the theory, and I'm sure Gary Wilson will completely agree with me on this that basically Fabregas has, has ruined Matic. I think, I think that's yeah. absolutely spot no, on. I, I, I totally agree with anyway, that. Anyway, listen, I'm just going mean, to, you know, rather than talk about the, the Watford game, uh, you know, as a whole, because, you know, there wasn't really much to talk about. I mean, we could have won it again, you know, Kloster had a header, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think the interesting point about it was, was it a good result or a bad one? I mean, again, you know, Goose was pretty fearful and negative, I think. Uh, but like we were saying uh, against Man United, uh, you know, it kept the run going. I mean, for me, the difference was we were away there, and Watford are no mugs. They've they they they've got a, a really good team ethic going there. Whereas, of course, we were at home to United, who are not playing well. So, I actually think the Watford draw was better than the United draw in some respects, Dan. Uh, yes, I think in any other season, you look at it as a bad result, and you look at the United result as not a bad point. But this is such a a screwed up season it's it's, it's complete opposite um, given where we are given the fact that Watford are well organised they've got a good manager they've got a great structure the way they play it, it, again it's another small step it's a game we probably would expected to win last season and this just shows our, our decline that we're thinking a point on Watford's actually the grand scheme of things not a bad result yeah yeah indeed alright well okay enough of that um, we've got Newcastle on Saturday and hopefully we can thump the magpies that would be lovely now Something happened on uh, Sunday, which uh, was very interesting for many, many reasons. Um, and I would, I would like to hit to have it on record here yet again that I said in the CFC UK fanzine years and years and years ago that if you ever want anything to happen uh, at a club that you're not happy with, the only way you can hit them and hit them hard is by not going. And what I mean by that is doing exactly what Liverpool supporters did, which is to walk out. Because there's no point like not going and giving up your ticket because there'll always be some mug that will take it. But the best thing to do is to go and then walk out because they'll take notice of that. And and Liverpool fans, not our favourites, don't like me much. The feeling is entirely mutual. But I have to say, absolutely fair play and well done uh, for 10,000, I believe, out of their 40-odd thousand crowd leaving on 77 minutes. And it was all because... Uh, apparently Ian Eyre, their wonderful chairman, is putting the prices up in one of their stands to 77 quid. Um, and But irrespective of the of the small details of that, I think it's generally accepted by most football supporters that ticket prices are way too high. And if you think about the fact that, uh, you know, most clubs don't actually need... Um, you know, the match day revenue to the extent they did, because most of their revenue, certainly Chelsea, most of our revenue comes from TV and from the commercial side. You know, the match, the match day revenue is insignificant compared to that. So, you know, I, I, I have to say, first of all, Ross, fair play to, to the Scousers for that. Definitely. I, I mean, it's it's one of the things where you've, you've got to, you've got to step away from being partisan about, yeah. about football and, and just understand that we're all supporters, you know, the, the trust movement, um, the FSF. The only way we're gonna we're gonna sort of change things for the better for match-going fans is to stand together. Mm. And uh, you, you've got to you've got to commend Liverpool fans being able to get sort of get the movement out in such short notice and, and manage to get so many people um, uh, walking out like that. Really, really made a point. And it was it was quite nice. I mean, 
to see them suddenly concede two goals at home to Sunderland. I mean, not only as a Chelsea fan was that quite funny, but it, I, yeah. you know, hopefully someone actually went, hang on, it's you know, playing in front of a half-empty stadium um, when your fans are unhappy is not good for the not good for the players either. Dan, do you, do you think they've got a point? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a fantastic idea. Um, I was probably um, saw sorry about David Gold at West Ham. They decided to keep prices at an even kill for the new stadium because he said the difference is five million quid, and he made a very good point. And that five million quid is not the difference between signing a world class player and not signing a world class player. So they've kept their tickets for the new stadium at, at the same level as they have done for the uh, um, bowling ground. Because he said five, five million quid with all the money we're getting from revenues is, is, is completely insignificant. So he doesn't pass on to the fans. So he's probably taken a you know a good standpoint. But I think I think the trouble is, and I mean, I, I people listening on Mixler will know that I've put up a link to uh, this fantastic, um, fantastic article written by John Nicholson on Football Three Six Five about why this is so important and why we have to make a stand against this. And and he makes the point that there's such a disconnect between the people that run football clubs, who are very executive and very rich, and ordinary people that want to go and watch their football. And bearing and and we are not customers. You know, it's not like we have a choice per se. I mean, obviously, you can either choose to go or not to go. But, you know, for most of us, football's like, you know, being a crack addict, you know. Yeah. And, and why why should you be disenfranchised just because you can't earn enough money? Um, but the other point, I think, is that, you know, there is a disconnect between the boardrooms and the terraces. And, uh, you know, even our club, they, you know, to be fair to them, they've... And this is the interesting thing, and, and, and John, John Nicholson covers this point very well, the fact that we've been duped into being very acquiescent. But, you know, Chelsea will tell you that they've had their prices frozen for a long time, and that's all very true. But, of course, that escapes the, the reality that most tickets at Football League Premier, uh, football pre- you know, Premier League uh, Stadia are probably about 30 to 40 quid a head too much. And John makes the point that actually a reasonable price to pay to go to football would be 10 or 15 quid a ticket. And I think he's right. And the fact is, is that over the last 20 years, there's been this constant slide upwards. And it's just outrageous. And it's, it, it, you know, and it has disenfranchised a whole group of supporters. And I think it's criminal. And I think fair play to Liverpool for making that point. And I, but I actually think that really everybody in the Premier League, all of these fans need to do it. So here's the thing, Clayton. If Chelsea were to do something, would you walk out on 75 minutes? Uh, um, 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 I don't know. I'd have to. You'd have to be there, and and I think it's. I think it's a great shame what's happening in football. We touched on this last week, didn't we, about the disconnection between the boardroom and the match playing fans. I'm very lucky. I can afford, you know, to go to Chelsea, my club, um, but. You know, just a change in circumstances, and I wouldn't be. And I think it's awful that people are priced out of football. Uh, I'm avoiding answering your question. I don't know. I think maybe if one day that there is a joint, um, a joint initiative by all the clubs in the Premiership that everybody walks out after 75 minutes or whatever it is, um, at the same time, maybe I would. I, I don't know how much it's going to take notice, although. In saying that, um, I don't know if you read the thing about Arsenal, who obviously the most expensive club in the country, and they wanted to stick a surcharge, didn't they, on the European Barcelona ticket, and everybody went absolutely bonkers, and they've done a U-turn now, so they're not charging it. So it works. 
you know, fan pressure does work. And it is no coincidence that Liverpool let in two goals in that last 10 minutes. It can't be. Mm. I mean, I'd like to think... Well, I don't know. They are, they are, they are shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, you I need mean, to... <laughs> me, you need... me and they let one through his hands and Jermaine Defoe give him half a yard and the box is going to score. I mean, had it been, say, 2-1 at the time, I was wondering how many people would have left. That's a good point. I've got to read this out because actually this this post by Rudy Can't Fail uh, summarises the whole thing as far as I'm concerned. But I, I've always been a great fan of German football because of the fact that it's actually enshrined in government legislation that 10% of all tickets should be within the pocket of the working man, which I think is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. We could learn so much from German football. But Rudy says, Uli Hernis, former president of Bayern, says, we could charge more than €130 Euros for a season ticket. Let's say we charge 380. We'd get two and a half million uh, euros more income. But what's two and a half million to us? In a transfer discussion, you argue about the sum for five minutes. But the difference between 130 euros and 380 euros is huge for the fans. We do not think that fans are like cows who you milk. Football has got to be for everybody. That's the biggest difference between us and England. And he's absolutely... Brilliant. Yeah, it's spot yeah, on. Absolutely and, and, brilliant. Thanks, Rudy. Yeah, well done, Rudy. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just going to read this snippet. that I, I mean, I could have I could have read the whole John, uh, John Nicholson article out, but I've picked up this, this snippet, which I think really, again, nails it for me. Can't afford to go to a good game? Here, have a cheap ticket for a rubbish game. How many times have we seen that and been told to be grateful? Uh, we all take for granted that things work like this in 2016, but it's a choice, not inevitably, uh, not sorry, not inevitability. No matter, no matter, you may have paid into the club for 35 years. If you can't afford it anymore, screw you. Your loyalty is only worth what you will pay today. The 10,000 who walked out of the cop are making a stand against that principle. Enough is enough. I think that's again, that is the point. And and one final thing on this, which which really worried me, I I, I saw a lot of um, comments by. Liverpool supporters from around the world, ones that, you know, don't go to matches. Now, okay, I know a lot of Yanks, we all do, who would cut their right arm off to come over to London to watch a game, and in fact many do. But what was interesting was to see so many of the Liverpool overseas fans doing their nut at the 10,000 who walked out, saying that they were selfish, saying that they'd cost Liverpool the game, and basically completely not understanding what this problem is about. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Yanks in Mixler, but my understanding is that, like so many things, America is way ahead of us in terms of sporting commerce. And, you know, if you want to go to an NFL game or, or, a, or a Major League Baseball game or an NBA game, you have to pay a lot of money. It's incredibly corporatized and commercial. In other words, it's not for the real fans. It's not for, it's not for the working man because they can't afford it. And the other thing is, is they don't care because actually sport in America has been commercialized and commoditized and it has been for a long time and certainly, you know, far more down the line than we have. And what you have to understand, people from the overseas, is that football was around in this country way before that. And football was always very much part of the community and very much part of the working man. You know, the stadiums were built quite often in working class areas and the whole community would go and that's where our culture comes from so to see our game being raped by aggressive and greedy commerce like it is really gets on our fucking wick so that's why we get a bit precious about it right Clayton? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I went to, uh, I don't know, Dan goes as well, but I went to an NFL game uh, two years ago and we were just about lucky to get seats. I took, I took the boy with me and they, the seats were, I think, $100 each because what they do is they release them, they then sell them through a secondary ticket agency and the fans sell them for a profit and what have you. So, and, and these were not the worst seats in the house because it was a great stadium, but we, we were massively high up. And the cost of sport in America is, is, is way above what we pay. Certainly in the NFL, they're limited. They only have about, I think it's 18 games a season. Slightly different with baseball, where they have the mere 160. But I just think it's very sad. But it, it's it's the way it's going. It's it's the. I mean, if Sky pulled out, then what would happen? Who who knows? You know, um, it's it's very. I think somebody anybody, else somebody else would step in, Clayton. Because yeah, that's no, kind I, of, I know. That's kind I know. Of where yeah, that, we that, are. That's the reality. And, and and like I think there was a great phrase, Johnny Selfie stick cat, uh, which Dan said the other week. Our stadium would be full if I didn't go. If I well, was, and, and that's and sorry, Dan. I'll bring you in a sec. But that—that's my point. You know, I, I and we're going to touch on this in the next part, actually. But there's a lot of disenchantment and disillusionment, particularly of people in our generation, uh, Clayton, uh, and people are thinking, "Well, I, I've had enough of it. I'm done with football." But the reality is this: is that the best way to protest is to not give up your season ticket if you are somebody like us. To stay there and be an irritant and keep making a noise and annoying the club to prove... I mean, somebody reminded me of a, of a, of a, of a statement that Ron Gourlay made uh, a few years ago, and he complained that we are the wrong kind of fans. And what, he, what he meant by that is that we go every year as season ticket holders, but we spend nothing on the club other than our season ticket, and we just moan about them and, and dig them out for the wrongs that they do. And that is why we have to keep going uh, until we have no breath in our body or no money in our bank account, because as sure as eggs is eggs, the minute we go, we will be replaced by somebody who doesn't understand the culture like we do and cares for it even less. I'm going to make one final point on this, and I'll quickly bring Dan and Ross in. For me, this has to be done throughout the Premier League. You know, every single supporter from every single Premier League club needs to do what the, the Scousers have done. And the reason for this is it's the only thing that will affect the clubs, but more importantly, the Premier League. Because the Premier League sell our game, you know, fleece us to sell our game abroad on the basis that we have packed stadia with great atmospheres. And, it's, and if we affect the TV brand, it's the only way we can get back and try and retain or regain some sense of ownership of our own game. Uh, Ross first, then Dan, then we'll go to the break. Uh, well, I think I think you're bang on, Chidge. I mean, uh, you know, touching on on the German the German culture where they, you know, fans on mass kick up a uh, a massive fuss when when sort of ticket prices take a hike. The challenge is going to be getting, um, you know, every every or sort of a, a significant number of supporters at, at each club doing it um, co in a coordinated manner. But I think I think in the long run, you know. The atmospheres are getting worse year in, year out, and at, at some point it, it's going to snap, and and um, you know that that'll be that'll be a real shame, and the, and the only way to stop it is 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 some sort of fan action or, or or the the clubs finally sort of waking up to it because as as things stand, the you know the prices are going up, and it, and it's and it's it's just getting worse. Mm. 
Dan, what do you what do you reckon on all yeah, this? I mean, to close I us out? All, all the boys have made some fantastic points, and you know, just touching back on the American sports model, you, you can have you know franchises moved from one side of the country to the other. Um, possibly, maybe MK Dons won't be the first franchise football in in, in, a, in a domestic English leagues. You might find there's a rich rich person who wants to move a team from Brighton to I don't know wherever I don't know Birmingham. They could do it. Because you know, that may be the case where money talks. They don't care about the fans. And they'll completely uproot a football club and move them 200 miles, you know, up north or something. So it, it is a worry for the true fan. But you know, we need to make a stand. We need to say to the money people, listen, we built you. We can hopefully knock you down. I just want to correct you on one point because I agree with everything you said there, Dan. But Arsenal were in fact the first franchise club. I'll take it back there, yeah. And on that, on that joyous point, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back in a minute uh, to basically, there's a couple of great emails which pick up on some of the themes that we've just been talking about there. And of course, uh, the usual plugs for my various chosen people. Uh, we will see you in a second. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Welcome back. I am Stanford Chidge and you are listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. And we are live on Mixler on a Monday night. I shall prove it. It is now precisely 8.32 on Monday evening. And uh, I've got the lovely Ross Mooring with me. Hello, Chidge. And we've got Dan, Dan, Dan. Hello, hello, hello. He's back. We lost him. We lost him at the beginning of part three, but he's now back, which is great, because he was, he was a loss for when we had him. But anyway... Man uh, we've down. All, man down. Uh, Dan, Dan down. Dan down. Anyway, <laughs> we've also got the fantastic Clayton Beerman with us. Which you unfortunately couldn't lose. I stuck no. with you. We did, we did try, Clayton. <laughs> I, 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 I hate to break it to you, but we did try. But I've just, I've just seen on Twitter the most ridiculous piece of news I've heard in many a day. Carry just on. to show that football is just absolutely barking. Paul Clement has been sacked by Derby. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that earlier. What the... I know, I know. Clayton, go and read the, go and read the statement on the Derby County website. Utter utter bullshit I've never read such crap in my life while they sacked him it's, it's ridiculous it's quite interesting actually because somebody actually threw him out there as a wild card to get the job our job no you know, way young no English job. manager blah 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 no I know there's no, no chance but I, I thought think, it was, it was quite sorry. a good call with I've somebody got... like Anyway, I've got even bigger breaking news for Cicero82, because I should have also said, actually, we had lo- we've had loads and loads of people in uh, Mixler tonight. Uh, uh, fantastic, fantastic bunch. Very, All the regulars are there. I, I, I won't mention them all by name, because it would take me too long. But I need to pick up a point with Cicero82, who, who I'm pretty sure is, is based in, in the States somewhere. I'm sure he'll he'll tell me if that is true or not. But he says, Arsenal are still in London, so it would be a bit of a stretch to call it a franchise. A little bit of a history lesson for you, Cicero. Uh, Arsenal, I've called Arsenal because that's where they used to play. Woolwich Arsenal, uh, which is kind of very near... Um, Greenwich. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it Plumstead? Yeah, it's kind of south-east, yeah, south-east yeah. London. It's basically near Charlton, south-east London, and in the early part of the 19th century? 20th. I meant the 20th, you know what I mean. <laughs> Early 1900s, uh, they were basically moved lock, stock and barrel to um, to, it, to Highbury 
because Highbury was, was seen as a, as a more affluent area and that they could attract a more affluent crowd. Am I right or am I wrong, gentlemen? You're spot on. I You're think it's 19... 100% right, as, as were they. Yeah, 1923, oh, but... I think it was. Was it that? No, it was earlier than that, surely. Oh. Was it? Ross, Ross, it, was, it, was around, it was around that. It was post-First World War. But, I mean, at, at, at that time, London, as sort of greater London, wasn't the, wasn't the way it is. It was, a, it was a big... It was a significant move in terms yeah. of... You know the the sort of economic area where they were from to to where they were going. It would, it was definitely a, a transplant. It wouldn't be like Chelsea suddenly playing yeah. um, uh, in in the north of Hammersmith, just a few miles down the road. Yeah. Either way, they up sticks and moved, and they are definitely a franchise club. And as Gary pointed out, they also cheated. Cicero, go into your Google now and Google Henry Norris. And I and I, if you're a proper Chelsea fan, which I know you are, you will laugh your cock off for the next half an hour. Anyway, we should move on. Um, I have some emails, chaps. I'm going to read them both out, so bear with me. And Gary, I'm sorry, this is Jack and Nori. Um, I shall try and read it as eloquently and as beautifully as Jonathan Kidd. But we've got one email from this lad. This is brilliant. Uh, from Barry Black, I think this is, which is also a very good name. Um, anyway, it says, um, Evening Chidge and the boys... Uh, much has been written about JT's announcement that he is likely to leave the club at the end of the season. It's obvious that he does not wish to go. But is there more to the timing and tone of the statement he released last Sunday? Essentially, he claimed that his services are no longer required, so he has no choice but to move on. This caught the club off guard, prompting a hurriedly released written statement to suggest the door was still open for him to stay. One would expect such a serious issue concerning our club captain, club, club captain would warrant a senior club official to step forward, but it was left to Gus Hiddink to deal with the inevitable interrogation from the press. I think there may be an element of JT making public the chaotic way in which the club is currently being run. He knew that this announcement would create massive fallout, and the focus would be on how the club are communicating with the possibility of another Chelsea legend turning up at the bridge in opposition colours next season. Our board of directors show little appetite to step into the public eye, happy for either Hiddink to take the flak or to shove the much maligned and vastly underqualified Michael Emanalo in front of the cameras. Within the structure of a business, Emanalo is no more than middle management, yet the perception is that he appears to be in charge on a day-to-day -day basis. If this is the case, and the board is leaving Emanalo to hold the fort, then it probably explains why the JT situation is the latest in a string of mismanaged calamities that have beset this club recently. As we lurch from one cock-up to the next, each one smacks at the club not being on its game, Emanalo has become the focus of fans' dissatisfaction, but personally, I think he's found himself being handed the task of dealing with situations that are not part of his job description, and to which he is clearly not capable of handling. The upshot is that since Ron Gourlay left in October 2014, there is a gap that remains unfulfilled. Gourlay and his predecessors, Peter, or predecessor Peter Kenyon, may not have been popular with the supporters, but I'm beginning to appreciate the role they played in the smooth running of our club. The Manx may still be mourning Fergie's retirement in 2013, but I'll bet they wouldn't be in such a mess today if David Gill hadn't left that same summer. So it's obvious, to me at least, that we are missing the hand of an experienced football administrator on the tiller to implement a sense of direction with the club and to maintain a working relationship with other Premier League clubs, the football authorities, the media and most importantly the fans. 
I'm sure that if either Kenyon or Gourlay were still at the helm, we would not have gone through the comical PR blunders, the continuous brushes with the FA, the disastrous summer schedule and the baffling transfer activity, both in and out, that we have witnessed over the last year. They certainly would not have allowed this JT situation to escalate, because they would understand that if ever there was a player in our history that has earned the right to announce his retirement from football while wearing a Chelsea shirt, it's John Terry from Barry Black. So uh, there we go. What what do you think of that, Clayton? Uh, I think that is the most fantastic email. I think it nail on head. Absolutely yeah. so spot on. Brilliant. Um, I think I just I want to pick up the Emanalo thing. I think Emanalo gets a huge amount of grief, and he's just a puppet. I don't I don't care what anybody says. He's just there as a mouthpiece to take all the abuse, etc. He's the middleman. Um, I think he's right. I don't think he's got any qualifications to do the job. I mean, he's, how many years? It's been there, what, three, four years now? Ebenalo was appointed by um, Avram oh, Grant. Yeah, Avram. That's right. So that's longer. Anyway, I mean, I was thinking about this because I, I meant to mention it last time when we were talking about what a complete fuck up the whole JC thing is. We have got somebody like Rude Hullet who could be absolutely brilliant as our sort of director of football or somebody like him who could come in and do that job and understand football and understand what's needed. But you know what? I don't think the club want anybody like that. I really no, don't. I, I don't. I think, you know, we are where we are because that's what the club want. Yeah, I think you're right. They don't want disagreement. They don't want dissent because Roman wants to do what Roman wants to do. Dan, what do you think of that email? Absolutely brilliant. I think give him the job. I mean, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. I mean, he's put, he's sign putting, him up, sign yeah. him up, sign him up. I think he's put, echoed every Chelsea fan's feeling about what's going on at the club. I mean, articulate, brilliant, to the point. He's absolutely, as Clayton said, nailed right on the head. And I, there's not one thing I disagree with in that whole email. Mm, that's absolutely so, spot on. Yeah. Ross, Ross what, do you, what do you think? Any comments on that? Uh, yeah, just... just... Quickly, first off, I, I I think Terry was was really just a case of um, you know he'd, he'd probably been banging his head against the wall with with the club trying to ask for a new contract, and there's only so many times you can ask, and I think he just got fed up and just decided, you know, I'm going to announce that I I might well be leaving in the summer because I haven't heard anything, which he's, I think he was perfectly entitled to do. Um, when it comes to Emanali, I remember I was on the I was on the show a couple of weeks ago and we and we talked about him at length. I'm just just looking at the the club the football board and he is the only one on there with any sort of actual professional football expertise and i think as a as as a comparison and we've been talking about other other sports but when it when it comes to to um the nfl um the the front offices there have three four five um people in making personnel decisions you know deciding who to sign um and that and, and who to let go of and at our football club, we've got Bruce Bark, who's who's a, a long-time Chelsea supporter, but he, he doesn't have a background in the game. Eugene Tenenbaum, who's uh, a friend of Roman and, and no doubt a very accomplished businessman, um, and we know uh, Marina's a very good. Uh, Marina Granovsky is a very good negotiator. It's it's interesting to note they have Michael Emanalo listed as a technical director as opposed to a director of football or something like that, and he is the only one on on the on the club board on the football side of things who has any sort of background in football whatsoever and it's just a complete lack of 
of, of foresight in terms of how, how it is you should be building a football team. It, it shouldn't come down to one person to offer any sort of qualified opinions. And I, and I think it's it's unfair to, to sort of criticise Emanalo as not having any qualities. He's he's played professional football, unlike, uh, you know, managers like Jose and... Um, um, and and Wenger, but I, I think the whole the the actual setup is is the primary problem, and it could certainly do with a few more people who've got experience of professional football and 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 trying to build a football team and, and not sort of a group of a group of people who 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 don't have any such knowledge. So you know, I mean, the the only th- that's a good point, Ross. I mean, the the only thing I would uh, pick up on that email. In fact, Tony uh, Glover, Grocer Jack, and I were talking about this in the cock uh, yesterday, and. Um, and that's that, uh, you know, I don't agree with Barry's uh, point about, you know, if this wouldn't happen if Gourlay was still here. Because I thought Gourlay was an absolute buffoon, I'm sorry to say it. And we certainly had enough PR blunders when he was around. Um, and he was just uh, part of the commercial problem, not, not part of its solution. I mean, he was, he, he, you know, he was the one that said that the match-going fans who have been going for years and years were part of the problem. Kenyon, on the other hand... Uh, I had a lot of time for. We might we might not have always seen eye to eye, but I actually think that that Kenyon had a, a much greater understanding of football and football culture, or he certainly had enough nows to go and hire football people who could bring in that football intelligence into the club. Uh, and I think he was a great loss to us, and we've never really, I don't think, in terms of the board, uh, been anywhere close to doing what we need to do so much as I didn't like him much I think he was very good at what he did and I think the others that we have now fall a long way short of that so there we go right we've got another email and uh, this is actually from the lovely Arpan who is in Japan now, Arpan, what on earth was that? has he just arrived? Dan are you, are you going or coming? that wasn't me no Clayton are you still with us or have you been out for a pee? front door front door okay honestly there's a lot of activity in uh, in in uh, in Clayton's house, I'm saying no more. Um, anyway, second email. Well, just left me. Yeah, I, was, I didn't want to. Uh, that was kind of what I was alluding to. to. Blame it all on me, Clayton. Too much talk about football. Too much She's talk off. about She's football. Gone. Yeah. Anyway, uh, right. This is again from Arpan. We heard from Arpan in Japan last week, and he actually sent me a very lovely email back, uh, answering a lot of the, the questions that we posed when we read his email out. But he's within the body of this email. I thought he's made some really good points. So I thought he he, he can he can be on again this week, and he says. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm shocked about the way that the club is and has handled the contractual situations of the recent club legends. What were they doing during Lampard's first few months? Why couldn't they handle it in a respectful manner? Fans weren't able to give a proper farewell even. Same thing with Czech and now with JT. Why does JT have to come out to the media? Of course there are issues with salary ETC, but it has to be done behind the scenes. It's a disgrace. If the club wants to go in another direction, then someone from the board has to give us, the fans, a plan, a direction or a vision. What is Chelsea Football Club and where do they want to take it to? Arpan from Japan. P.S. Congratulations on the podcast award. What, what award was that, Clayton? Did we win an award? Apparently. Yeah, I think we won an award. Um, yes, now That's a good way to get an email read out. It is. I think they're learning. That's, this is not the first email we've had with P.S. Congratulations on the award. They're learning. Now, before I uh, talk about this in a bit more depth, I just want to pick out something that... Um, because it's really interesting. There's a, 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 This, for me, both emails pick up on a massive sense of uh, disgruntlement with the club and, and the way it's being run and the decisions that are being made. And I think, more broadly speaking, the patently 
obvious palpable disconnect between the club and the supporters. And interestingly enough, Dan Levine picked up on this point in one of his articles after the game. Uh, and he said, it, he said this, he said, The name of the captain leader legend was sung sporadically from the off, but for the most part the ambience was downbeat rather than defiant. A combination of factors, Terry's predicament, the poor season, ticketing concerns, not least the hurdles put in the way of the club's followers away in Europe, and the threat of a four-year exile to Wembley do seem... Are you still alive, Dan? That's me. me. That's me. All right. Uh, and the, oh, okay, you, you, your cough sounded like Dan's for some reason, Clayton. Anyway, anyway, and the threat of a four-year exile to Wembley do seem to have left a great many questioning their love for both the club and the game. And in a way, I think that's kind of what Arpan is alluding to. And I think what fascinates me most is that it's it's a feeling that a lot of us have got over here who go to the matches week in week out. But interestingly, from a slightly different perspective, but the same tone, it's coming from fans from overseas, which I find fascinating, Ross. Yeah, uh, I think as you know, one of the great things about doing the the podcast over the last how long how long is it? Uh, eight seven, years, mate. Seven, we've, been here, years. we've been here for as long as Michael Amanalo. Yeah, is is we've got to know a, a lot of supporters from overseas. It's just not through their correspondence, but many have, have come over and watched games with us. And it's it's no coincidence that that the fans who who really take an interest and, and and want to understand the culture just as much as watching the game and the players, um, they you know they've come over here. We know we know plenty, especially from America, who are proper football fans. They might not be from from London or England. They might not have been going since they were kids or or, or, or what have you, but they are proper football fans and they know exactly what the score is. And and I and I think you don't. You can be from anywhere in the world. I, th- I think obviously there there are some, as with that Liverpool uh, fan who who criticised the other supporters who was from America. You know, saying they've cost us the points. There there are plenty of f- football supporters worldwide who completely understand what's going on, and and they 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 see what the problem at Chelsea is at the moment, and and they they have it down to a T. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think what what they are saying and what we, what they have realised and what we know and have seen firsthand is that the club we feel is not being very well run at the moment, Dan. Yeah, and it's it's it's, ba- it's baffling a club of our stature what we've achieved in the last twelve, fourteen years. Even going back to sort of you know the FA Cup in '97, that we've literally come from top to bottom in in, in a six month window. It's it's baffling. I mean, I just wish you know we'd get some sort of direction from Rome and or, or a statement something say listen I'm here I'm going to sort it out because at the moment with the left hand and the right hand don't know what they're doing it's, it's an absolute as you said I can't remember the word you used earlier but you palpable said earlier, palpable disconnect no, between club something like, shit knuckle or something I can't remember clusterfuck clusterfuck yeah it's 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 baffling I mean the transfer policy lack of communication with fans I mean I mean look Wembley's we have to take on the chin because we've brought a new stadium. That's going to have to be a compromise. I mean, I, you know, it's not great, it's not ideal, but we have, we've got limited choice where we're going to go. So from that point of view, I trade off three years at Wembley for spanking new stadium, albeit with the twenty thousand selfie sticks that we're coming with. So it's 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 a mess. It's a yeah. mess, and so we need we need some massive surgery over the next sort of three, four, five months. So make sure we come next season, we hit the ground running, and not. Well, I just great. I I just wonder. I think I think what Arpan really alludes to there is, is fascinating Dan which he says well you know what's the plan 
What's yeah. the vision? What's the direction? And, and of course, we never ever seem to get any sense of that. And 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 just to you know, Tony and I again picked up on this in 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 the pub on Sat on Sat Sunday. Uh, I you know, part of Roman's great genius, of course, is that he never communicates to anybody about what he does, what he wants to do, blah 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 blah. I mean, you could argue that it's communicated through the board, but I just see obfuscation there. That's kind of part of his genius. It means the press don't have any access to him uh, and he never makes a complete arse of himself but on the other side of the coin that genius in terms of not communicating means that we have no idea about what's going on and why things are happening in the way that they are and I think that that in, in, in times of trouble that can that can be a problem for Roman I think. What do you think Clayton? Um, I think Dan's correct that it would be great if we had a statement because it's all very well not saying anything when things are going well and you're picking yeah. up trophies every year, and people go, well, oh, I'm not really happy about this. Oh, we won another trophy. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let it go. I don't really mind. Um, but obviously, there, there is less chance of us winning something this year. Um, I think it's quite, I don't wish to be rude, but I think it's a bit naive to, to expect a statement because you look around you, what football club makes statements about what they're doing or what their policies are? None. Nobody does it. I think, you know, it's, it's a sense of entitlement. I mean, I think it's a problem because we really have, have just turned from being something that was building up and building up to, to, to rudderless, just going nowhere, doing nothing. Um, and like they say, there is no plan. I said this last week, and, I, and I, I truly believe this. I think the club are on the high into nothing as far as the players are concerned and contracts and, and saying this, that, and the other. Because we don't know. We don't know, what the, we don't know what the players are asking. If the players come out and say, we, we've been asked for this and there's no way, and blah, 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 they're going to look bad. Um, and if they don't say anything, they're going to look bad. So I think there has to be a little bit of give and take as far as the players are concerned. Um, I mean, Arpan made good points last week, and, and I understand where he's coming from this week, but the whole Petacek thing was, that was down to Roman. Yeah. So um, you can't really blame the club. As far as that's concerned, Frank, I think nobody would have given a monk as if he would have gone to the state straight away. Um, I think the JT thing is not resolved, so we don't know. So I think you know, playing devil's advocate, you, you do have to say, I think the club are on a bit of a loser there. But I well, what, Clayton, what do, you, what do you think of Dan's points about, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I definitely get a sense that, you know, particularly those of our generation and a lot of the match-going fans, there's, people are fed up. People are really disgruntled by it all. And it's, it's, it's not just one thing. It's a whole agglomeration of things. And I think Dan picks out quite a lot of them. And it, and it does... It's a disgruntlement with the club, it, and I, I think it's largely because of the increasing feelings of, of disconnect between the club and how they're operating and what they're doing on our behalf and, and us. I, 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 I think Dan makes a really excellent point there. I, I think um, it, it's, it's a great couple of paragraphs you picked out. I yeah. think that, that's 100% right. I think there is a lot of people just saying, I'll give up. I, I, I don't know what you're doing. You, uh, you've been treated this way. You've been treated that way. I don't know. I think he's right. I think there is the whole thing. I think what's happened is for the whole time that Roman's been there, 
there's been a sort of a plan, but not actually a plan, because the fact is, with his money, with Mourinho at the helm, we should have we should have had a dynasty. We should have been winning the league, not every year, but year after year. I mean, I know that we've won trophies consistently, but we should have been building and building and building. And every time we've won the league, we've, for some reason, screwed up our transfer policy the following summer. And therefore, we haven't built on it. You know, the, the, those great sides, we needed to add two quality players year in, year out, and a couple of maybe youth players. There's been no direction. And, and when you have a different manager every season, it's, it's no surprise. So I think, and we have managed some way to muddle through and keep winning. The wheels have come off and everything's happening at the same time. But, but, that's, but that's why it looks such a mess at yeah, the moment. But I mean, you know, it's more more by luck than design, really. I think. Look, we've really got to got to run on. But I think I tell you what, actually, I think that without a doubt, I'm going to have a debate about this falling out of love with the game. I think there's a lot in that, and Dan is on the show uh, next week. So there we go. Uh, right. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Uh, very quick shout out, CFC UK. There is a new issue out. It was out before Milton Keynes. It was around on uh, Sunday. And uh, I do believe that uh, there is no better man than Mark Worrell, who will be on the show next week, who said this on Twitter. He said kudos to at Chelsea Kelv and at Stamford Chidge for, for, for rib-ticking... I'll say that again. Kudos to Chelsea Kelv and Stamford Chidge for rib-ticklingly incisive articles in CFC UK 173. Grab a copy today. Only a pound from at only a pound. Now, of course, as I said, you can get them at the home games from the CFC UK stall opposite Fulham Broadway Tube and also at the away games. Now, if you can't get it there, you can always get it digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. And if you're in the in the USA, follow uh, the Twitter account at cfcukusa uh, and you can get a hard uh, hard copy, not an electronic copy, uh, from Dan Lundberg, which would be great. Uh, of course, the Chelsea Supporters Trust, uh, one way that we can air our grievances with the club, and to be fair to them, they do communicate with us, uh, albeit not perhaps as much as we would like, but they, they do communicate with us. So join the trust, get your voice heard by the club, £5 to become a voting member, or free for non-voting members. Sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com so you can attend the meetings, come to the events, and vote on the issues that directly affect you and make sure you get your voice heard. Follow them, of course, at Chelsea S Trust. And in the house in Mixler tonight, we've had the lovely uh, Debs, who does all of the Twitter for the Trust, uh, which was, of course, started by Ross. So there we go. It goes full circle. Now, uh, we must go because I'm overrunning on time as always. Uh, but we'll be back next Monday, the 15th of February, to look back at the game against Newcastle United. And I'll be joined by Jonathan Kidd, Dan Levine, and the wonderful Mark Worrell. So that'll be a cracker. Uh, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Dan at DanSilves73, Clayton at Goalie59, and Ross at Ross Mooring. And of course, check out the website, ChelseaFancast.com. Ross, it's been great having you on the show again this week. It's been a great show, Chidge. Thanks for having me. As I said earlier on, it's been very intellectual this week. I blame all three of you. <laughs> It had nothing to do with me, obviously. Great to see you, Ross. I need to negotiate with you to get you on the 22nd if you're free, so that'll be good. Yep, yep, sure, sure. 
Good stuff. Dan, as always, great to, to see you. I'm sorry that we lost you a bit, but I think you more than made up for it. Oh, thank you very much. No, it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Lovely stuff. Have a nice week off next week. Thank you. Shall. And, I, and I'll see you in a couple of... Hopefully I'll see you at the Newcastle. Yeah, game. I will be. I'll definitely be there for Newcastle. So. We'll, we'll have some beers. I, 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 I insist on it. Perfect. Uh, Clayton, as always, fantastic to have you on, even though I gather that you are moonlighting with the Reverend Tony Glover. Uh, I may well be. I'm in yes. negotiations. He said that he said that he's basically bought you as a transfer, and I said yes, but that'd be like transferring Robert uh, Ryan Giggs to you, mate. You know, you know, it um, feels like it feels like your parents are cheating when you go on the other show. I felt <laughs> I felt violated, Clayton. I felt did violated. Did I you? did. I felt um, violated, mate. Can I just quickly <laughs> change the subject about violation? No. Um, <laughs> is it not quite nine o'clock, Clayton? Oh, that's fair enough. Um, I just wanted to mention very, very briefly, because uh, I know we've got to go, um, it was absolutely amazing that Alan Smith, the co-commentator on Sky yesterday, commented on the fantastic ovation that one matter got from the Chelsea fans. Oh, did he? Yeah. Did he really? Yeah, he actually bigged it up and he said, what a pleasant change that is. Change? We do it yeah. every time. No, not us, just comparing oh, yeah, us yeah, to yeah, those yeah, yeah. Fair other enough. people that boo their own players. He didn't yeah. mention a certain club from Woolwich by name, but I yeah. presume that's what he meant. Yeah. Well, fair play. Well done for mentioning that, Clay. And also, brilliant having you on the show. We'll see you in a couple Absolute of weeks. Absolute pleasure, well. mate. All right, we've got to go. Uh, many, many, many thanks to my lovely, lovely guests this week. They've been brilliant. Uh, fantastic kudos to everybody in Mixler who have been brilliant. And as always, you add so much. I might not get the chance to read everything out that you say, but I do keep my eye on what you're saying and I test the uh, mood of what's going on. So thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chels. Up the chels! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.